everyone. Welcome to Rescue Replay. My name is Kella and I'm your host. I realized that my intro has changed. A few people have mentioned it. So uh, the computer drama continues. Uh, my computer originally crashed and I had a knight in shining armor come and save my computer or well no he took my computer to hopefully get saved and it did not get saved and thankfully i was given a loner computer but i had that computer for like a week and i had it in my bag and i put my hot chocolate because i i quit caffeine i don't drink any caffeine so i drink hot chocolate in the morning it's like a mushroom hot chocolate like chaga um and i had it in my bag and the one day that my bag falls over in my car and my hot chocolate ended up going everywhere in my bag, getting on its computer and wrecking, and wrecking the screen, I was just like, seriously, could this get any worse, this computer drama? I mean, I'm kind of done with it. So now I have a third loner computer and my other loner computer is going to be coming back to me tomorrow because my original computer is completely toast, so fried, which really upset me because I had all of these fun stickers on it. Uh, so I guess I'll just have to get a new sticker collection. But anyways, that was a long-winded story to tell you that on my original computer that is no longer no anymore, that is the computer that had all of my work saved on my podcast, my intro and everything. And I've been downloading this software on all these computers to try and get this podcast continuing to go. And so my intro had to change. So anyways, I actually kind of like the new intro better. I feel like it's a little bit more soft and a little bit more um, the vibe of the podcast. Let me know your thoughts at which one you like better, the first one or the second one. No promises I can get the first one back, but hey, uh, I can try. Anyways. Welcome to episode 15 and I'm really excited for this episode because I have a really cool story for you. In the beginning of this podcast, I think it was episode three, I talked about shared struggle and how we now know that sharing our struggles with each other is a way to release oxytocin in our brains, a way to connect with people and um, create community, which is a really cool idea. And I mean, we, this idea is not foreign, right? We've been saying like, everybody could use somebody to talk to. We should normalize going to therapy, which yes, we should normalize going to therapy. Everybody does need somebody to talk to. I've been to therapy. In fact, that's what gave me the power to leave my abusive relationship. So yes, therapy is very valid. However, therapy isn't always accessible. It isn't always available. Uh, there's, money implications there for a lot of people. So what if we as a human race just started realizing that opening up and being vulnerable and taking those opportunities when we get them in re our everyday life, because we do have those opportunities. I just find, especially in Vancouver, like we just, everybody just wants to do their own thing and doesn't really want to bother with anybody else. But maybe if we started being available for you know, other people, it might help uplift the spirit of our communities as a whole and eventually change the collective consciousness into a more positive consciousness, which I think is, you know, the ultimate goal here. 
Back when I first left my abusive relationship and when I first came to Vancouver, I was doing a lot of work at the Jewish Community Center in Vancouver and teaching a lot of courses there. And there's this cafe there. It's a normal cafe. It has coffee, you know, little treats and stuff. And it's in the Jewish Center. So all of the food is homemade. It's kosher. The quality of the food is really quite good. And the quality of the coffee is really quite good. I started making nice with the lady that works there. At first, she was kind of off-putting, and I thought she didn't like me because she was just um, just had this very direct manner, and I wasn't used to that back then. I was still in this phase of, you know, not knowing who I was, like just kind of like really inside myself and really insecure from all of the narcissistic abuse and the emotional abuse and whatnot, and still just trying to find my footing and. Eventually, I kept going to this cafe. We started getting closer, started talking, and she asked me like a little bit more about me. And I said, yeah, like I'm here from Calgary and blah, blah, blah. And I ended up saying like, yeah, I left a, an abusive partner. And she was like, oh my gosh, good for you. And I was like, well, yeah, like uh, it was hard. It was pretty hard. And I'm just kind of out here on my own trying to figure things out. But I think I'm going to get it, you know, and she was like, you know, I was in an abusive relationship and she took me over to the side counter and she ended up telling me all about her abuse story and her husband and they immigrated here with a child and he was going to university and they were living in residence and then, you know, he was being abusive towards her and she was terrified of, of him for her life and then she got like special housing for being a single mom and a restraining order and she raised her son on her own and I was like wow that's amazing and she assured me that I was doing a good job and that I was going to be okay and of course back then I it was hard for me to understand the depth of what she was saying because I was still kind of like in the very early stages of my healing and not really understanding how deep the abuse actually goes but I remember leaving that day and calling my mom and calling my best friend and like bawling my eyes out. Cause of course, like I didn't know this lady, like to be vulnerable like that in a public setting is really hard for some people. And I did hug her and I did have this overwhelming feeling of like assurance, you know, like everything was going to be okay. I didn't let go. Like I didn't feel it out completely, but I did have this really overwhelming powerful sensation because we hugged after she shared her story because you know like as a survivor it's we don't share our stories to get the kudos we share our stories to help others and to teach others and that's what we do with rescue too we share our stories so that others can learn from our rescues and take the wisdom that we gained after that experience and use it as forethought and as use it as training material for their life and their experiences in hopes that they can avoid the situation altogether or use what you've given them or what you've bestowed upon them in a manner that will benefit them and somebody else possibly in the future. It's a learning tool. I remember we shared this hug and I went back upstairs and I was just feeling really charged and really positive, really supported. And that day I called my mom and my best friend and I just broke down crying and telling them the story and how supported I felt and how like 
even though I'm here in Vancouver and like all my people are back in Alberta, you know, I have a small community here, but everything's new and I'm trying to figure things out on my own again in my 30s, you know, how supported I felt and how connected I felt after hearing that story. And two, for me at this point in my healing process, I got this assurance that somebody was looking out for me, that there was a higher being, that there was a higher spirit and call him God, call it the universe, call it the divine, how, what have you, that there was somebody looking out for me, something was looking out for me. And they were giving me all of these signs, like you're on the right path, like you're exactly where you need to be, which if we really tune into our environments and tune into our connections, like our pass by connections, like we would get a lot more reassurances. And maybe our self doubt would be less powerful if we could see it for what it was. That was a really impactful connection that I had made. And it really helped me see that I really was going to be okay that if she could do that back then and immigrated into a different country, and she could raise a son by herself, I could do this single girl with a dog, you know, I could do it. I finished working there and I didn't go back for more courses later on since. That happened back in February. And after that course that I was teaching that week, I didn't go, I haven't been back to the JCC until recently, just about a week ago. And of course, I was really excited, gonna go and see. I was really excited to see her and to reconnect with her and to hopefully tell her how much of an impact she had on me. Started a course at the JCC. It was Monday. I went down and I chatted, or I went down and I got a coffee. She wasn't there. Tuesday, I went down and she was there. And we had a moment. I ordered my coffee and she asked me how I was doing. And she, but she looked at me and she honestly, like it was that authentic, like, how are you doing? And it just felt like it really hit. And I said, I told her, I was like, I'm doing really well, a lot better. Thank you. And she looked at me with this nod and she said, yes, like, that's what I want to hear. Like, good for you. It's interesting when you have those connections with people, those really deep, authentic, meaningful connections. It's almost like you have this understanding. So like, if there is less communication the next time, like there's this equal understanding that it's okay, you know, and that's exactly what it felt like for us that it was okay that it was a really brief encounter we met each other we saw each other for who we are we acknowledged each other and then we passed on and we kept on with our lives and such and that was the only time i saw her that whole week that i was at the jcc and it was really nice to just rekindle that and reaffirm that connection was still there and that you know like had i had an issue like i trust that i could have talked to her about that and we still could have had that commonality and that that connection there we have this ability and rescue like these are powerful moments if we allow them in our lives if we open ourselves up to these like and it's about being vulnerable and about being authentic with our the way that we conduct ourselves and the way that we communicate and the way that we assess ourselves you know sometimes authenticity to get there it's really quite a painful experience because you have to go through all of the things that, you know, are probably a lie, actually. And, you know, 
a really great example of this is is for me in the dating world now I have to assume that everything that I've ever known about a relationship is wrong. So that means I have to like unwind all of my beliefs about being in a relationship or what it looks like because look at where it's, where my belief system has gotten me now. So it's like, well, that hasn't worked times two. So now it's a really good idea for me to assume that everything that I know is wrong and to try and learn a new way which it's going quite well, might I add. I am seeing someone and it is going quite well. It's interesting for me to watch myself move through this as I start to open up the possibility that what I know is incorrect. If I stay open to that and if I continue to be vulnerable, then again, through that shared struggle, you can create connection. So it seems like a win-win recipe if you ask me. Knowing your capacity and knowing how to reassess yourself is quite important as well. I have this one student that comes to mind. They ended up having to repeat the NL course, the lifeguard course, a few times. And the second time that they came to me, I had seen the same issues, the same problem, the same progress, and the same, they were in the same spot. And I remember the first time that they had failed my course, I said, hey, like, failure does not mean that you're not good enough. And I told them, assured them that failure just means that you have something to learn. This is an opportunity. This is a, a place that you can really go inside yourself and evaluate and assess where you are and be honest and truthful about your capacity and where your abilities lie you know which is a pretty big ask might i add like it's not easy for somebody to just go inside themselves and evaluate like it takes practice to get there this person was quite young and they had a quite young mentality as well i understood that this was a big ask i was hoping that it was an ask that would be impactful enough that they would consider it. And it wasn't too many weeks later that I saw them in my class again. And I was concerned because it had been so soon and I had assessed things and I asked them like, are you ready? And they assured me, yes, yes, I'm totally ready for this. And when push came to shove and they were demonstrating their skills, they were in the exact same spot that they were when they had left my course the first time. So that just goes to show that self-assessment and being self-aware actually takes practice. You're not going to be good at it in the beginning because you have to be able to admit when you've been wrong or where you're incorrect or where you could be better or where you're lacking or where you're toxic. You know, it's really quite a difficult process. You almost have to have like nine different personalities because you have to challenge yourself from all of these nine different Per points of view and that's how you self-assess like to really achieve mastery you need to look at yourself from all of these perspectives that and some of them aren't going to be comfortable you know and that's that's really where you have the ability like that's really powerful if you can get there it's not easy and I'm not even saying I'm there I mean I like to think that I am sometimes but certainly not all the time I think knowing our capacities and understanding where we are at in our journeys 
is so important. And if we look at that aspect and how it relates to rescue, it is probably the most important aspect of rescuing because let's say as a rescuer, you had a doozy, you had a CPR or, you know, a big trauma. You now have the responsibility to know your mental state, your emotional state, because you still have to live your life, right? So if you're not okay mentally and emotionally, you need to be able to communicate that to your community, right? And especially your fellow rescuers, because maybe you have another shift like next week and it's like, oh, I'm not okay. I should not be put in charge of helping others because I'm not okay. I don't think I could do that. We have all of these common ways that we demonstrate that we're not okay. Like when we get irritated over these small things, when we start projecting ourselves onto others, when we start taking our anger out on others, these are all markers that we're not actually okay. And it's not impossible for rescuers to take it out on the people that you rescue. I see it in paramedics, the way that they treat their patients. I've reported medics before. I've reported police officers before for uh, negligence and for, you know, mistreatment of their patients. It happens. We're not immune to that, right? We're human beings. It's the human condition. So in order, if we know that it's part of our human condition, that that's a possibility, then it's really our duty to make sure that we're looking inside of ourselves and asking the proper questions like, hey, is, am I doing this to this person? Am I being fair? And is there anything that's underlying that's bothering me? And it, it takes practice. It takes work. Like it's not going to be, you're not going to be an overnight success. And this is where therapy actually is really beneficial because they can help you move through certain feelings and certain emotions because they have all the schooling. Like, heck, I don't have all the schooling. Like sometimes I'm surprised by the things that come out and the things that I miss. I when I was in Bella Coola and I was doing all of those healing circles, he was, you know, do, poking needles in me and doing fire cups and whatnot. And I'm telling him, like, I, yeah, I have this podcast and I talk about all this, but man, like I had a lot of stuck energy that hadn't been moved for quite a while. And like, thank you for helping me move it. And all he said was, everybody needs a little help from time to time. And he had been doing this work for 25 years. He's extremely good at it, very knowledgeable. That was another connection that was really impactful and really meaningful. Just And these are connections that are happening every day, just randomly. Like these aren't connections that I'm going out looking for, searching for, la la la. These are connections that I'm encountering in my everyday life and I'm allowing them to happen in my everyday life. And I'm taking grasp of them, like I'm paying attention. And if you were able to do that, you would find you would get all of these answers and reassurances yourself too. I fully believe that. I think for us as society, we want not to focus on others and we want to focus on ourselves. And if we can change that, then we do create stronger communities. And I think that's what's so great about rescue and the community of rescue is because we do to a certain degree, like there are some egoic rescuers out there, but we do to a certain degree make other people more important than ourselves. And we make that the priority. 
And if we're thinking about connection, it doesn't, it's not isolated to just human beings. Like our animals, our companions, our fur friends, they also provide a lot of connection and a lot of healing and a lot of teaching if you pay attention. Something that I noticed in Zeppelin just recently, my abuser used to play djembes, which is a West African drum. And he would play them in the house and, you know, Zeppelin just kind of took it like he didn't really like it, didn't really dislike it, but he knew the sound of them. And so we were walking through our park the other day and there was a group of djembe drummers. We were walking, 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 and then Zeppelin heard the djembe drums. And I have never seen Zeppelin act this way ever in my entire life of knowing him. And he's 11 years old now. I have never seen him act this way ever. He heard the drums, he tucked, he lowered his tail and he lowered his head and he left. He went the opposite direction, even though I kept walking and I kept calling him. And if you know my Zeppelin, he has really good recall. He does not want to be far away from his mom. So for him to be create that kind of distance was really out of character, but he went completely the opposite direction. And I was like, Zeppelin, like, what are you doing? What's the matter? I clued in that it was the sound of the djembe. He did not want me to go back to that place. He wanted me to be safe and secure, and he was rescuing me. The same way the cafe lady at the JCC rescued me back in February, and the same way that the gentleman in Bella Coola rescued me by using acupuncture and fire cupping to move some stuck emotions. You see, rescuing doesn't mean that you have to know these specific skills. Sometimes just being there for someone or looking out for someone, checking their six and making sure that they're okay, that's rescuing someone. And sometimes that's all they need in order to know and to feel like that they are okay and that they can do this. So extending a helping hand and being open to these connections and paying attention while you're outside and living your everyday life, it will pay off. And it has such a overwhelming feeling of gratitude when you live in the moment and you allow life to unfold for you. That also just goes to show like how much emotional trauma actually affects the spirit. For a dog to remember the sound and associate the sound with that abuser of mine and to associate that with them being in that environment and to completely go the opposite direction to protect me from that, if that if a dog gets affected that much, imagine how affected human beings get when they're faced with emotional trauma. I was really taken back when Zeppelin did that. And he, when I say beeline, like I mean like he was not moving towards me any closer to that djembe. And it's actually funny because I went the other way around the park to try and go because I wanted him to walk by it and realize that just because he hears that sound doesn't mean that my abuser's close. So I 
turned the other direction and I tried to walk the opposite way. But as soon as we started getting close to the same area, like he noticed and he started displaying the same behavior. And then he wanted to go a different direction. Like I had to put him on the leash in order for him to, or in order for me to make sure that he followed me because I didn't want him just running off. He actually ran out onto the street when he ran off the first time and he wanted to get away. Like he was dead set on not going towards those drums, which I thought was pretty incredible. And that's eye-opening. Like I said earlier, if it impacts animals that much, just imagine how much it impacts human beings. When we have the conscious mind and the ability to consciously think about like what our emotions are, where they came from, what they feel like, and how to deal with them. Animals, they don't have that conscious mind. And they depend on us as their owners, right? To help them out for that. They're completely dependent on us. Thanks for joining me here on episode 15 of my Rescue Replay podcast. Tune in next week, Friday, 10 a.m. for another episode. Until then, this is Rescue Replay, out.